Hey there, podcast fans. I'm here with your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello there, Mom. Hi, Andrew. I love it when we can get together. (laughs) I love we get together and you get to show off all of your new Zoom Zoom technological techniques. <laughs> well, I, I created a studio in my office, so I have a green screen behind me and I can play with all these different virtual backgrounds. And yeah, I've been learning a lot. <laughs> I love it. So I know that you've been out and about and connecting with a lot of other educators. Would you be down to tell a little bit about what you've recently done? Well, I went to the ISTE conference. It's the International Society of Technology and Education. It was in New Orleans. And I said, I'm going to go and be with my friends. And they had 12,000 people there. Not all my friends, but I met a lot. It was wonderful. And we had a breakfast and we had fun and I learned a lot. I presented and I just, it was wonderful. Yeah. And then, um, I came home and <laughs> I had COVID. So <laughs> on top of Welcome that. to the world. <laughs> yeah, you were one of the, you, for a while, you were one of the holdouts. Yeah, for a long time. <laughs> I got through it. I, I'm fine. I'm but glad. I also, after that, I did the green screen conference. It's called the green screen, not a green screen summit. It was like not just a green screen. It was amazing. 30 presenters and I was one of them. I did simple tips and tricks with Zoom and Canva and things like that, you know, just real simple ones. Um, But some people said that I actually helped them, which made me feel good because some of the people were just amazing. Yeah, (laughs) It was fun. Well, with that segue, why don't you tell us a little bit about this upcoming conversation? Well, um, you know, when I was in SC, I put on a breakfast and my guest, Dr. Devin Vadichka, was there. So I even got a selfie with him so I can put it on the post that we do. But Devin is amazing. I've known Devin now, I think, 20 years when he was he was superintendent of Vista Unified in California and the work that he's done around learner-centered approaches has now taken them to not only a book on leadership around learner-centered environments and pathways, he's created a learning-centered collaborative that where there's 150 um, school systems. I mean, I'm like, ah, I told him, I want to work with you, Devin. I just love this. It was so much fun. Well, I won't hold anybody back. Let's uh, <laughs> let's stay tuned for a conversation with Barbara Bray and Devin Davichka. Well, I'm really excited. I have been wanting to talk to Dr. Devin Vadichka for so long because we know each other. Yes. And you're here. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm also very excited about this conversation and feel very honored and delighted to be a guest. So thank you. Oh, Devin. I mean, it's okay if I call you Devin. Yes, of course. (laughs) I mean, I've known you so long. I I would feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. Uh, Well, I want to just kind of boast a little bit about you and give a little overview to my audience. 
this will be the part where I blush, but they won't, uh, they won't know that because they'll be hearing it. Right. Oh, I'll grab a picture of you blushing then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dr. Devin Vadichka is an award-winning superintendent, educator, speaker, and nine-time White House honoree. I knew you were a White House honoree nine times. We might want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been an adventure. Oh, my gosh. Currently, Dr. Vadichka, I got to get that right, is a chief executive officer at Learner Center Collaborative. And I, we are going to talk about this because this is really exciting. You're also the author of Learner Centered Leadership. This is where you share the power of reimagining schools as centers for the intellectual and social development of lifelong learners prepared for a rapidly changing world. Oh, my goodness. And I know you're prepared for all this. Welcome, Devin. This is just so wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to the conversation. Oh, well, you know, because I know you, I've followed you and you and I were in Kentucky together and we've been all, you know, Mm -hmm. we've been doing the same journey, but in different, different ways. But the whole idea of moving toward learner centered is wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. So I always like everyone to say and share their why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big question and it's a good question. And I'm glad that uh, you start with that. So, you know, for me, I think a lot of it goes back to my childhood and my upbringing you know, grew up in a small town in Northern California, and I'm a first-generation American. My dad is Czech, my mom is Dutch, and I had a a very interesting experience as a, as a young child, you know, realizing that I was different. A lot of my colleagues, because colleagues, a lot of my classmates, uh, you know, result of our heritage. And so, you know, uh, I wore a lot of Czech clothing and we ate Czech food and we celebrated Czech holidays. And I would go to school and I would ask the kids, you know, like, when's your name day? And they would say, well, what do you mean name day? What, what is a name day? Uh, and and it, it, at a certain point, I realized, oh, this is like there's something different about our traditions and our culture and our heritage. As I was growing up, both my parents were also technologists who ended up being computer teachers. And so my mom was the high school computer teacher. My dad ended up teaching computers at the community college level. And uh, I spent a lot of time as a kid in my mom's class in particular, nights, weekends, summer. uh, And she was a real innovator. She was doing incredible things like creating playlists on HyperCard and, you know, using (laughs) innovations like laser discs. And so I, I had this sense of what was possible in education. And then I also had this experience as a student of feeling like my own identity wasn't really recognized or valued uh, in my experience and feeling like there was something sort of less than humane about that, uh, that I wasn't able to bring my whole self into school, that I had to sort of suppress my culture to fit in, which didn't feel Mm. great, uh, didn't feel like I was being valued for who I was. And so I think the combination of that cultural outsider experience coupled with seeing these glimpses into nature through my mom's classroom uh, gave me a sense of, you know, what is needed in terms of the the human connection that 
fuels so many of us and, and the sense of belonging that's so important, as well as, you know, what's possible when we combine, you know, technologies and resources to, to expand opportunities for all learners. So that really is, you know, my experience as a kid that that is my why. And, uh, you know, as a career educator, you know, I, I, I empathize with a lot of with a lot of learners who have those same needs, because it turns out I'm actually not that different, that we all have a need to feel like we belong. We all have a sense, uh, we all want to feel seen and valued and understood for who we are. And I think a lot of us have this innate or intrinsic curiosity, whether it's for new technology tools or other things. And we want to have opportunities to lean into those things that uh, that give us that that energy. So even though I felt like I was really different, I've learned over the course of my career that there are a lot of really uh, essential needs that we can use to reorient and, and kind of recenter our educational systems around the learner to to do a better job. Well, I can relate with to your mom. Yeah, <laughs> I was Tell one me. of those. Well, I'm uh, older. I, I'm probably your mom's age. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> <laughs> You're very just, useful. Oh, thank you so much. But um, I was one of the people that pioneered with HyperCard and, and yeah. LaserDisc and worked with Pioneer at the one time, you know, the mm -hmm. owner, you know, and Perry Reeves. I don't know if you remember Perry, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I found that I was the kind that wanted to take the computer part and figure out how it worked. <laughs> Everyone right, thought, right. there's something wrong with mom, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I see, just like you, how important it is that you value each individual's unique talents and and interests. And I just love that you've taken what you've learned and, and viewed and experienced with your mom and mm -hmm. also looked at the future mm -hmm. and why it is the learner. So this is amazing that you went back like that. I was sitting there going, I wonder if I know her. <laughs> you You might, you might. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, th there's there's a lot that um, uh, th that fuels me from my childhood. But I will also say that a real transformational experience for me was when I was a superintendent and started to do student forums. And uh, oh. as much as I obviously am influenced by my own experience, uh, doing these student forums really uh, was humbling in the sense that uh, I had been in education for a long time thinking I was doing the right thing, trying to connect with each learner and create a sense of possibility. But, um, you know, this was in 2012 that I was a new superintendent at the time. And I did about 60 student forums, uh, talked to more than a thousand uh, kids and asked them questions about what they liked about school, what they would want to see changed, what we should stop doing. When I say it was humbling, it it, it was uh, amazing how common it was to hear from students and, and have them say things like they didn't want learning to happen to them. They wanted to be more active in their experience. They they, they wanted to have choice. They wanted to, to bring their interests that they had outside of school into their learning. Uh, and so again, mm -hmm. you know, the, that just really reinforced this uh, sense of urgency around the need for us to reorient around each and every learner and um mm -hmm. you know the voices of those students have have really uh reinforced my view about what is our ethical imperative as educators and as leaders and i think we just have to be responsive to 
one another as, as humans and our kids are humans and they have agency and identity and autonomy. And, and uh, you know, I think for too long, we've had a kind of industrial factory model of teaching and learning that's tried to take that mm-hmm. away from us as humans. And, and I write about in the book how there are a lot of benefits at the dawn of industrialism to going to this mass produced model of education. Uh, but a hundred plus years later, we've all the limitations and uh, it's a new era. And so the time is right to listen to learners and, mm-hmm. and, and do better. Well, I've been doing this now 30 some years trying to transform education after reading um, Paulo Freire's mm-hmm. pedag- you know, pedagogy of the oppressed yes. and alien you know, Ivan Ilyich and mm-hmm. all of their work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've been trying in my own way, but there's a lot of people trying. It's just the system mm-hmm. is so embedded. Mm-hmm. It's like we still have parents say, why can't my child be taught the way I was taught? Mm-hmm. Or even children say, just teach me, mm-hmm. just give me the worksheet. And teachers even tell me to give them the template. Mm-hmm. Just show me. I'm like, there is no template for personalized learning. Right. And learn it. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, have you heard the same things? And how do you handle that? Sure. I mean, it's ironic. Sometimes we'll hear people say, you know, we should standardize our personalization. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, it's that's an oxymoron. It's <laughs> an oxymoron, right? Personalization, but by definition, should be personal. It should be something that's owned yeah. by each and every learner. And and uh, it can't be standardized, but you know what you're surfacing are some genuine concerns. Uh, and and I think you know sometimes when people hear words like personalization or learner centered, they imagine that there's no structure to it and that it is mm. you know chaotic, uh, just like a free for all, and learners do whatever they want. And I I think that's that's not that's not what I hear when I listen to learners in terms of what they want because the reality is that. As much as we want to be seen as individuals, we exist in community. And when you really listen to learners, what inevitably follows is a more social experience, a more community-based experience, because that's that's also part of our humanity. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think that uh, part of the challenge ahead of us for those that are trying to reimagine what's possible is to find that balance of how much structure is is helpful and how much is constraining uh, you know, when are we mm-hmm. too loose and when are we too tight? And I think um, a lot of what I've learned in the course of my experience is that it's really important to have an inclusive co-created process to understand where you're going, how you're going to get there, how you want to behave along the way, what I call the framework for the future, vision, mission, values, goals. Uh, it's really important to co-construct a definition of success. What are the goals? What is the learner profile we're trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. And it's also important to identify a framework that would be a, a learning model. But once you have those constructs in place and you know where you're going and how you're going to get there, that creates the guardrails for people to innovate and be at their best. And and uh, uh, because they have a sense of common direction, they have a sense of the boundaries, the, the constraints that hopefully are healthy to move us in a common direction. But, you know, it, 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 it is an ongoing challenge to find that right level of what we hold tight and where we stay flexible. All the things you're saying is, you know, I just want to package it, which you did <laughs> in your book. But I, I, it's like I, you know, I've been I wrote a few books on, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like. 
How did you get to where you are now? Because when you started, mm-hmm. what, you, you struggled a little bit with it, right? Because I yes. did. Yes. You want to just give us a little background of like how you got to where you are now? Because it's amazing. Yeah. Well, how much time do we have? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I, again, you know, inspired by my mom, I knew I was going to be in education at a young age. My first job in education was uh, running a computer lab for uh, migrant students at a high school. This was yeah. like in the early stages of, of, of uh, you know, networks and the internet and uh, went from that to teaching elementary school in LA Unified, uh, was a bilingual teacher there. And then moved into administration in Carlsbad, which is uh, North County, San Diego, growing community. And it was just a great opportunity to um, to be part of, of, of building new things. Like I got to open new schools as a principal, an elementary school, a middle school. Mm-hmm. I was a curriculum director, uh, became an assistant super business and then, you know, superintendent. And, you know, I think you learn through experience. You try things. Some of them work. Some of them don't. Uh, and, 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 you know, that helps to reinforce a, a view of, of how to best create the conditions, what we call the enabling conditions to move to learner-centered education. Uh, mm-hmm. But one thing that has been really, I would say, a consistent help for me is having colleagues, mentors, networks that have given me great feedback, given me inspiration, given me ideas, uh, and, and all of the, the views that I have around what is possible today are uh, like the cumulative effect of all, all of those influences uh, that, that have helped me to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm exceptionally grateful to have been surrounded by a lot of really talented, dedicated people uh, that have been working to reimagine what's possible for a long time. And I think, uh, you know, we would all say there's a long ways to go, but I also am really energized by the progress that we see. There's at Learner Centered Collaborative, 150 school systems, including state departments and big districts, little districts, rural, urban, suburban, you know, there's, there's a movement underway. Uh, and, and, uh, I feel like we're at the front edge of a, a really, positive change in our education system it's about time <laughs> well but the way these things go is I know. It, it, it feels slow 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 mm-hmm. and then suddenly and you know i wouldn't be where i am in my view of the world if it hadn't been for my mom's hard mm-hmm. work as an innovator you know we're, we're all like i hope learning from uh the experience of others as well mm-hmm. and when we get to that tipping point to a new normal in education it will be the combined impact of many 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 hard-working people over a long period of time yeah i don't know about a new normal i i kind of would love to see just innovative communities of practice where we're mm-hmm. constantly pushing pushing the edges yes. I, I really think and I know you are doing, I, I've seen what you're doing. And mm-hmm. um, when you said you interviewed over a thousand students, yes. I'd love, are you still doing things like that? Because that's yes. me. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, when we say we're learner centered, you have to start with learners. You, yes. you have, that's absolutely part of it. So in our partnerships, uh, we very often start with uh, organizing student forums, uh, uh, asking some of those same questions. What, you know, what 
should we continue in school? What do you like? What should we stop doing? What should we start doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we've developed a student survey tied to agency collaboration, problem solving. uh, And we find that the combination of deep qualitative conversations through the forums coupled with, you know, wide surveying uh, in more of a quantitative approach gives us a really, uh, I think, good view into the learner experience. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, involve learner stage of the change process as well. So as we're creating, co-creating learner profiles, bring students into that process. As we're co-creating the learning model, bring students into that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and um, if we want to center centered, we, we want to uh, include them in their own journey. Yeah, because and just looking at, because you said that as part of the collaborative, there's how many schools? I mean, in districts and... It's about 150 school systems uh, across the U.S., yeah. Wow. 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 So these are, you talk about these in your book. Is that right? Well, most of the book is about my experience as a superintendent. It's a little more retrospective. Okay. Uh, someday I hope to write a book about my experience, you know, with learner centered collaborative working with this national network, uh, as we are learning a lot, uh, through that process as well. But, um, there's so much that's unique different about each of us as individuals and each of our communities. And also there are some things that are really quite similar. Uh, And I think that that uh, appreciation for variation and uniqueness uh, has been reinforced through the the work that we're doing now, but also we're definitely starting to see patterns and trends. And that that's part of what gives me this excitement about this wave of increasing recognition that we need to adjust our systems. We need to change our learning experiences to to get to a broader set of uh, an expanded view of success for each and every learners. Yes, because probably all of the systems have common threads, but they also might have unique things about because of the demographics, because of the geography, because of, you know, the, the people, you know, everything's a little different. So I can't wait to see that book. Well, it's, uh, it's 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 in my head at the moment. I know. But, uh, but before uh, we go there, let's talk about your book because it's yeah. um it just came out, right? Well, actually, it came out April of 2020, which was a month after the COVID pandemic. So it's been sort of an interesting time to release oh my a, gosh. A, a book. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I think. What's interesting about it is it's getting actually more attention now that yeah. we're sort of like coming out of the pandemic and understandable. We were in survival mode, uh, these stages and, and through the ups and downs of the pandemic, the conditions have been very, very challenging. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, the book's getting a, a fair amount of attention now, uh, which I'm excited by. And, you know, it, it kind of goes through my experience as superintendent, walks through uh, you know, the, the framework for the future, but also there are sections on just how important relational trust and social capital are mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, meaningful change requires community and, and uh, social and that requires us to have high levels of relational trust so that we can be vulnerable and, and be at our best. And then the end of the book gets into some of the the systems uh, pieces, how we need to shift away from individuals to teams with clear performance expectations, 
move to sort of rapid cycle orientation instead of the slow annual cycles that we've been uh, orienting to in education. But the book is also, I think, um, hopefully optimistic in the sense that it includes a lot of stories that reinforce, again, a sense of optimism about what's possible. Some of the schools that uh, transvest up, some of the individual stories of, of uh, students and teachers, uh, you know, try to just celebrate the successes that uh, we saw during that time period. Well, I've heard so many good things about VISTA and the work you did. In fact, isn't that where you got some of the White House <laughs> recognition <laughs> because of yeah. the work happening there? It was yeah. amazing. Well, one of the things that happened is, uh, well, first, I would say it was a period of, uh, of transition. We were coming out of the No Child Left Behind era uh, in California. We were transitioning away from California state standards, moving into Common Core. Mm -hmm. In California, we shifted to a new funding model, local control funding with local control accountability. So we, we had this transitional period where we were switching from one accountability framework, one set of standards, one set of finances to something new and different. And in that transitional period, we really tried to embrace the creative opportunity and we had heard from the students, these you know thousand students through these forums about what they wanted. And what we heard loud and clear is that, that they wanted, again, more choice, more flexibility to be able to move at their own rate. They wanted to do things that were of interest. They wanted more social experiences. They wanted higher levels of relevance. And that led us to create a plan, which we called the blueprint, uh, which included eight strategies, both was creating personal learning environments and another one was creating personal learning pathways. And again, this is uh, probably 2012, 13, so almost a decade ago, there mm -hmm. weren't many school systems that were creating plans for every kid to do personal learning at that right. time. Mm -hmm. We used uh, an opt-in model. Schools were able to opt into this and we, we had 30 schools in the district, initially five opted in and then 12 and then 22 and it, it it went from you know those early adopters to to, to becoming more normal. But as we promoted uh, our definition of personal learning, which built on student strengths, included uh, use of uh, technology to shorten feedback loops, uh, really embraced the idea of pathways and student choice, flexible learning environments, competency-based progressions. Uh, as we did that, we attracted a lot of national attention. Uh, partly because it was working. <laughs> and, and so even though we were in this in-between space with a lot of the accountability metrics, the, the multiple goals that we were tracking, things like student attendance, uh, discipline, attitudes about school, uh, opting into higher levels of challenge like AP and IB courses, college and career readiness, A through G in California is a, a metric of, of college readiness. Mm -hmm. graduation rates, all of these things were shooting up in ways that we'd never seen before. Yeah, we, 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 we had a lot of people curious about how that worked. And um, uh, all of that really led me to this place of thinking that um, an empowering learning experience shouldn't be dependent on where you live. It should be available to all kids everywhere. And so uh, for the past five years, I've really been on this quest to think about how we 
spread and scale these new models uh, of what's possible. And as I said, we're learning a lot, but I also see a lot of signs of uh, a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I mean, I've been following Vista for some time and it's still wonderful. It's because you it built is. a framework, the the groundwork was there. And then it, everyone it's it's, you know, it's not something new. It's like the kids grew up with it. Yeah, yeah. it becomes. Yeah. And I, I so I should also say, you know, both my kids, I live in the Vista School District. And so oh. my daughter's a graduate uh, from uh, the Vista School System. She's in college now. She wants to be a teacher which I'm yes. very proud of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then my son, uh, he just finished eighth grade. But, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to not only uh, see the benefits of this idea that we want to promote agency collaboration and problem solving as a superintendent, but as a dad, get to see how it affects uh, my own kids. And and uh, they've, mm. they have flourished uh, through the experience. And, and I feel like I feel very fortunate that they've been in a setting to have these learning experiences that, that really help them uh, develop that sense of self, uh, develop that sense of empathy and curiosity and creativity and, and uh, you know, extend their learning beyond the four walls of the classroom. That to them is normal. And, and uh, I think that's, that's building a great foundation for them to contribute and thrive as a, lifelong learners, which you know, as a dad, I want that, but I would want that for all kids. You know, and you see it firsthand. I mean, sometimes yeah. the, your own kids kind of go, mine would go, oh, mom's at, on her learning. <laughs> She's pushing this on us. And then yeah. later they go, wow, I'm glad, glad she did well, that. <laughs> well, it's not to say that, that mm-hmm. we don't have room to keep growing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was interviewed, uh, actually earlier today, and someone asked, who has this all figured out? And I said, no. So even, you know, mm-hmm. Invista, which I think is a shining model of excellence and innovation, mm-hmm. if you talk to the leaders and the teachers, they would say they're still on the journey. They've, you know, they've figured out a lot of things and, and on a continuum, they're farther along than I think mm-hmm. many, but we are all still learning together to develop I call it the new normal, but what I'm talking about is a new system of teaching and learning, an ecosystem of teaching and learning that really empowers all learners to know themselves, thrive in community, actively engage in the world as their best selves. We have not yet figured out as a society how to do that uh, for every kid. And until we get there, I think we're going to keep learning together. I've tried to grab that quote because it's beautiful, (laughs) what you just said, because I mean, when we look at what's been going on the last two years, it's kind of stopped the whole world and changed how what teaching and learning looks like. And some teachers went back to the you know traditional models because they didn't know how to do this virtually, but they also didn't know how to do a lot of things because the kids were stressed out. The everybody was stressed out, so. It's. It seems like I'd love to know what's going on with the 150 school systems and how they're addressing the idea of meet, you know, agency and and building this new system when we're kind of there's been a lot of trauma and struggles. Yeah. Well, and those things are are real. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have the view that people have done the best that they can all the time, but especially. It, 
under the challenging conditions of this pandemic, you know, the fact that we were able to rapidly deploy devices and, and get connectivity and, and have some level of interaction should be a big celebration because yeah. that's been a long time coming and, and you know, long overdue. Uh, but you're right. Like when, when we are uh, stressed or anxious, I think a natural human tendency is to revert back to what we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. In any change effort, there's there's a well-studied phenomenon, which is there's an implementation dip. You know, when you try new things, you tend not to master them immediately. You often it, it appears less productive than what you used to do. Mm-hmm. It makes sense then that people would say, it's gonna go back to what I used to do, what what was familiar, what was comfortable, even if it wasn't optimal there's a sense of, of security with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think part of our role as leaders is to help to normalize this implement and help people recognize that anytime we try to do something meaningful, that's likely to occur and it's normal. And if we persevere through that dip, what tends to happen is we, we, we improve and we come to a, an even higher level of performance. And uh, I think particularly in education, the risk tolerance is very low. Uh, and so when we try something new, if it doesn't, if it's not a smashing success right away, people, people often just go back to, again, what is cool. And when I reflect on the Vista experience and, and I talked about how it happened during this transitional time, I think part of how we were able to make that big leap is because we were free of some of those external accountabilities during that transitional period We that we 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 have the space to work through that that dip, and I would hope that together we can all figure out how to be a little more patient with one another, so that we can make some of those big leaps that will better serve us in the future. Well, this is you know it's like a sp- experiential learning. All of us are going through something we've never been through before, yes. and then how do we how are we there for each other? This idea of the learner profile, identifying that. Maybe you will handle it different than I will handle it and how we work as a team. And you mentioned in the beginning, you mentioned about relationships. If you build those relationships first and on trust. Yes. You can I think of it, it as being almost like a net for, you know, trapeze mm-hmm. artists. You know, you're not going to let go of the trapeze to go to the other one if you don't have a safety net. Yeah. In, 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 in our relationships, trust creates that safety net, which allows us to say, I'm going to let go of what I know. I'm going to try to reach for something new and different. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to, I'm going to have a safe landing. I get back and try it again. I write a lot about relational trust because it is so critical if we want meaningful learning and growth. And, uh, you know, uh, the research that I did as part of my doctoral dissertation led me to develop this model where there are four elements of relational trust, consistency, compassion, competence, and communication. And I, uh, you know, when we don't know what to do, I would bring us back to those four and say, how can we be consistent, reliable, predictable? That is so important uh, if we want to have relational trust, but how can we also be compassionate? How can we be empathetic? How can we be good listeners? How can we be considerate of one another? Uh, And the research on this is really clear. It's not just about consistency. You have to also get things done. Uh, so I use the example sometimes of my wife who, you know, we start dating in high school. We, we have a high trust relationship. 
but she doesn't trust me to do everything because she knows I'm not competent in everything. Like, you know, fixing the car, for example, she would mm. not trust me to do it because she knows that that's not a skill. That's not an area of competence for me. So mm. trust is very like uh, situational in that way. You know, we need to demonstrate that we can get things done if we want people to trust us. And then communication cuts across these dimensions. It's so, mm. so important. And the research on trust uh, suggests that receptive communication, our ability to listen, is far more important than our expressive communication. And I think as teachers, as educators, as school leaders, we sometimes have this conditioning that makes us think we should be talking all the time, when in fact, I would say we should be listening more. That is going to help us be compassionate be competent ultimately uh, and, and and help us to develop those high trust relationships that will enable us to learn and grow. Well, you're talking my talk now because, yeah, this is one of the things I did when I started my podcast was to learn how to listen better. Mm-hmm. I found that this has been really difficult for a lot of people because they think that when they're listening, they have to think about what they're they're going to say instead of really listening. And this idea of receptive mm-hmm. communication and building your listening skills is something that I'm hoping we can start really early in school and work with parents and work with everyone so they understand that you can learn a lot when you listen closely and don't talk. Mm-hmm. Even when, I, when you're talking, I even tell people, don't shake your head. You know, just really listen and I can't help it. My head just keeps moving, you know, but I, it's, it's a, it's an amazing skill. We don't teach in school, even though you have like listening and speaking standards, we Mm -hmm. still don't do it. And we have, I observe teachers, you know, Mm -hmm. and they feel because I'm there, they got it. They're the ones that should be talking. And I'm going, well, the whole idea of learner centered is Whoever's doing the talking is doing the, you know, they might be doing the learning too. So anyway, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Yeah. I love what you're saying. I just, you know, I could talk to you all day, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I could listen to you all day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, I, what I love is not only your book, but the story of the learner centered collaborative. Do you want to just say just a little bit more about that? Yeah. So uh, we're a national nonprofit, and uh, you know I, I touched on it a little earlier, but I think we have a, a vision that learner-centered education can be for all learners. Uh, but we also know that to make the big shifts that need to happen in the enabling conditions, the learning experiences, defining the the whole learner outcomes, we, we do that better in community. So we are mm-hmm. grateful to partner with. Uh, you know, innovative educators and and schools and districts and uh, states to work together to to build a movement uh, towards learner centered education, and um, it's been a real privilege to do that. Oh, I mean, I know some of the people that you that are working with you, like Katie Martin, and I, I'm just so blown away because the work you're doing is one of the directions I've been wanting to go for a long time. But just to know that you're able to bring together all these school systems and be able to grab this information and data and mm-hmm. oh, 
just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Uh, it's just the beginning of a long journey. <laughs> I know. And I'm excited to, I'm, I'm honored to know you and to watch you on your journey and share anything I can share uh, with my audience, because I hope they, one, get your book and two, follow you because you have TED Talks, other, you have websites, you have, this nonprofit has a lot of resources yes. for everyone. It's just, we're definitely going to put them all on the blog post that goes with this because I think they need, yeah. people need to know about it. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? <laughs> well, I joke a little bit, say there aren't that many Devin Vinichkas in the world. So I'm, yeah. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty easy to find. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, you know, Devodichka. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can go to learnercenter.org, which is our uh, uh, website. And yeah, reach out. I mean, we, we learn together. We grow together. It's going to take a, a community of us, you know, really listening and learning from one another to, to best serve all learners. And so I hope this is the beginning of many, many conversations. Oh, yes. After you write your next book or you do your next TED Talk or some monumental thing happens, I'm going to have you back on because this is... Love it. You, I'm just honored, Evan. This is just wonderful work you're doing. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'll get another... You never know. We'll see you up in a Hall of Fame somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's not about me. It's about, as I said, you know, any, any success that I've had is because I've been surrounded by great people yeah. who've supported me, encouraged me, given me great feedback. I feel really just uh, fortunate on, on the journey, but you know, any, any success that we have, especially uh, in schools is done in community. And mm -hmm. you know, I I've just been really, really fortunate to be surrounded by dedicated, talented, hardworking uh, educators. Uh, and, and they're everywhere, <laughs> uh, they which, which is, which is a, a wonderful gift to the world. So thanks to all the educators who are doing their best to try to serve kids. Well, um, I, like I said, you're leading the way, but then you're right. It It's like we're there just kind of guiding, but we're also learning as we go. Because I found just listening to you, I learned a few new things about you I didn't know. And I've known mm -hmm. you a long time. That's right. That's <laughs> so right. every time you have a conversation, if you have receptive communication skills <laughs> mm -hmm. and That's you learn right. how to listen, you never know what you're going to learn from people. And I love the idea that you get the students involved and everything mm -hmm. you do in the collaborative and in Vista, wherever you're working, it's one of the things that you're encouraging is we need their voice, but we also need the teacher's voices. And to that end, that's one of the reasons we use the term learner-centered instead of student-centered. Mm -hmm. And I give a lot of credit to Katie Martin yeah. uh, uh, for this, but, you know, she's very good at articulating how we're all learners. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, in this conversation, we're learning new things about one another. And so... Uh, we, uh, regardless of our title, we, we should all be uh, trying to develop our sense of self, trying to develop our abilities to exist in community, trying to develop our abilities to contribute to better communities, better society. And so when we say learner-centered, we mean kids, adults, we're all learners. On that note, <laughs> that was just a beautiful way of pulling this all together. And I just... Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Barbara. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning podcast and my conversation with Dr. Devin Vadichka. 
make sure you check out the blog post on barbarabray.net that goes with this podcast. It includes Devin's journey to the Learner-Centered Collaborative, along with amazing resources, a link to his website, and his book, Learner-Centered Leadership. Please subscribe to my podcast. It would be so awesome if you wrote a review. You can also subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net to receive updates, more inspirational podcasts, and a link to resources, stories, my books, and more. Thanks again for listening. Keep sharing your story and please stay safe and be well.